Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. And I'm Danny Carraher. We are returning this week with another uh, entry into our Wes Anderson Marathon as we're working through his entire filmography um, before uh, his newest release, The French Dispatch, hits theaters in October. Uh, so we will be talking about the life aquatic with Steve Zizou today. Um, and that's going to be the film that we do review on. There will not be a third part uh, to today's show uh, just because we are uh, trying to just focus a little bit on these films and not uh, make it about something else entirely. So uh, that is um, what the focus of our show is going to be. Uh, but as has been the case the past few weeks, we do want to talk about some of the movies that are coming out this week. Uh, and we are re recording this a little early. So um, unlike in some of the past weeks where we've received a little bit of data as to whether or not people like some of these movies, um, it, as, as a whole, uh, we don't have a ton on the movies that are coming out this week. So it maybe makes it a little more fun for us to be... Uh, talking about whether or not these are things that we're interested in. So to kind of start things off, we actually have a pretty big, uh, couple big movies that are, that are actually um, releasing this week. And the first is Old uh, by uh, M. Night Shyamalan. And he is a kind of a, the sort of director that, that people are split on. Some people still think that he, um, is very good at his craft and others think that he has gone long past that. Um, but old is a story about, um, a, a beach where for whatever reason, uh, if you spend time on that beach, you age, uh, much faster than you would otherwise. Um, so it kind of looks like a little bit of a mystery thriller, um, probably some haunting stuff. Uh, there has been some, uh, reviews released about this film and they're pretty much what you expect them to be for an M. Night Shyamalan movie uh, where, you know, there's some good and there's some bad. Uh, but I am really excited about seeing this for whatever reason. I don't know if I'm a glutton for punishment, um, but I have some interest in this. And so uh, there's a good chance I'm going to see this movie. Um, one thing that I respect about M. Night Shyamalan as a director is that he's always he persists in being at least creative in the movies he makes. And sometimes his movies don't land, but I still um, am excited for this movie. I've heard mixed things. I've heard some really great things about this movie. Um, but there's some uh, also some critique just about his, his uh, tone as a director in this movie as well. So um, I'm excited to see it. I think this will be interesting. It has a really good cast, so I think that that, that might play into it um, being potentially a little bit better than maybe some of his other movies in more recent years. So, yeah, um, we'll, we'll probably check that out and give you a little bit more information about what we think uh, down the line. Um, the other big release this week is Snake Eyes, uh, the G.I.G. origin story. And this is... Not so much uh, a movie that I'm as interested in seeing, unless it were to get ridiculously good reviews. Um, I probably 
will not see this. Um, my, my gut tells me that this is going to be kind of a middle of the line sort of movie that's probably pretty well produced, um, has all right performances, uh, is probably exciting. But uh, in the end, it, it's like a lot of action movies. And um, I, yeah, I'm just not I'm just not it's not my cup of tea. And I'm not overly interested in seeing this. In a world where the pandemic wasn't happening, uh, this is a movie that, regardless of reviews, might have done really, really well at the box office, and it still could, but that will be kind of adjusted given the circumstances, and so it will be interesting to see. Um, I feel like with these types of movies, that's what I'm most interested in and paying attention to, just because I don't see this as being a very quality movie in terms of uh, an original story. It's more or less something that we've probably seen before. Um, but uh, the the lead actor in it, whose name is escaping me right now. Henry, that, Gold, Henry Golding. Yeah, he's, he's a charismatic leading actor, I think. And I kind of want to see him do some more stuff. Although I can't really tell because he's a British actor, but I can't really tell what his accent is in the trailer of this movie and so he might be one of those british actors who when they do an american accent they it's just there's something not quite right about it yeah uh i i think he's overall a pretty good actor i really really loved him in crazy rich asians i think i probably liked that movie than maybe more than the average uh kind of film critic um but that, I mean, overall, that movie did pretty well. I think it was on the verge of getting nominated for Best Picture. Uh, and um, yeah, he's, he is. He's a charismatic sort of guy. And I think uh, if he can find the right parts for him, uh, that he'll probably have a pretty successful career and we're going to see him in a lot more stuff. Um, so I think that's the, I, I'm most interested in that as well. And kind of that that box office to see uh, how, how this plays out, because this one does not have any other streaming options right now. And so this is going to be a clear action movie that uh, is playing on the big screen. And as we get further into the summer, more people are more interested in going out to the theaters to see movies. So. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of kind of says everything you need to say about that. Um, there were a couple documentaries that both played at Sundance and I didn't see either of them. And I would be interested in seeing both of them. Um, and they both are out this week. Uh, Ailey, which is a film about um, a artistic dancer. Um, or I, I believe that he's more like the creator, like choreographer for um, different dances and I've heard great things about this I believe they are going to make a uh, dramatic um, story of this this gentleman's life um, and so I am very interested to see this I don't think that it's playing in Omaha this week so we may wait a little bit before that gets to um, what I would assume is going to be your more art houses um, the art house theaters um, the other documentary that is coming out this week that played at Sundance is called Playing with Sharks. Um, and uh, Playing with Sharks, the Valerie Taylor story. And uh, this follows uh, this scuba diver, Valerie Taylor, as she uh, tries to kind of um, expose the myth about the fear of sharks. And um, this one's going to be on Disney+. Plus. Uh, so if 
you're you have Disney Plus. This might be a good one to to watch this weekend. Um, but both of them are are films that I hope that I get to see eventually. Yeah, that playing with sharks movie kind of seems in line with uh, the type of documentaries that you are pretty into. You kind of like the uh, in the our involvement with nature and kind of a reflection on that. And definitely, I do, I haven't heard about any of either of these. So um, that of the two, that one seems more interesting to me right now. Yeah. Um, one of the things about uh, Sundance is you kind of have to pick what you want um, out of that festival. And uh, I had really focused on um, trying to watch all of the films in the dramatic category um, and so that, that meant that there were some conflicts where I didn't get a chance to see some of these doc documentaries. And so I'm going to be trying to kind of pick those up as I go along. Um, and a lot of them are, have been released or are going to be released, um, before the end of the year. And, uh, the thing about Sundance also is that it is a huge platform for documentaries more than any other type of movie. Uh, the documentary films that they they release, they generally um, are very good. And my experience from seeing some of the ones that I saw there, um, and I know we talked about uh, Summer of Soul. Um, Summer of Soul is probably going to be one of my favorite documentaries uh, this year. And it was the first that I saw out of the bunch. Um, so, yeah, I'm very intrigued by documentaries that are released at uh, Sundance. Um, and yeah, so those are kind of the two that seem to, uh, really stick out. The other documentary that came out this week has received a little bit of buzz, um, in recent weeks. And I think it played at the Cannes Film Festival out of, uh, competition and it's called Val and it is a documentary all about Val Kilmer's life. And um, I'm really interested to see this. Uh, it's received pretty good reviews up to this point. Um, and this one will be in Omaha this week. Uh, and one that, that um, audiences probably all around the country are going to be able to see. I'm super pumped for this. I think Val Kilmer is an actor who, you know, I, the, there's rumors about him having maybe been difficult to work with at times in his life. Uh, but regardless of all of that, he is a terrific actor who um, maybe never really received his due. Uh, and so I think this is a, a, a documentary that will be really interesting, especially because he is pr the primary storyteller, I believe. It's kind of his him documenting his own life in a lot of ways. Uh, and um, I think it's just, it's gonna be really interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this. Um, the, I'm going to kind of just read the rest of the movies that are coming out the, this week. Um, there are a few that are on streaming services, so they are going to be more likely people are going to see these than the ones that got theater releases just because they're lower level um, film releases. Uh, one is called Blood Red Sky. This is going to be on Netflix. It looks like a horror movie. Um, one theater release is called Joe Bell, and this starts, stars Mark Wahlberg. Um, pretty much anything that stars Mark Wahlberg, I am not interested in seeing until I hear reviews on it, because I'm not a fan of Mark Wahlberg. I think that he is an overrated actor. Don't think he's that good of an actor. I think he has... Uh, roles that really fit his skill set 
Um, but when he is kind of the centerpiece for a movie, um, I just don't think he makes very good movies. Uh, and generally a lot of the movies he makes are just not very inspired. Um, and yeah, so, uh, not a fan of, of Mark Wahlberg. So I probably will not see Joe Bell. Um, there's a movie called Jolt, uh, which is going to be on, um, Amazon prime. This is, an action comedy and stars Kate Beckinsale. Um, it also has uh, Jay Courtney, who was in one of the Terminator movies and Stanley Tucci. Um, seems like it has a little bit deeper cast. Uh, my gut tells me this is probably not uh, going to be a great movie, but it, it's probably an average to above average movie. Um, there's a movie on Netflix called The Last Letter from your lover and this film is probably out of this bunch the one that i am most interested in and it is simply because it stars shailene woodley and felicity jones and uh it, it is a story about um a journalist who is fat finds these letters and is kind of trying to uncover this past story. So it like goes back and forth between time. Um, and the fact that it's on Netflix, I think uh, makes me probably more likely to see it um, just because it's readily available. And so I think out of this bunch, that's the, the one that I am most intrigued by. I would say I'll wait until I hear good things about any of those movies before I watch them. <laughs> I agree that the last one seems the most interesting but i'm just gonna sit on that <laughs> <laughs> yeah as it comes out and yeah. just gets absolutely destroyed yeah i mean that just because it has good actors doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be any good we've seen that happen over and over and over again yeah um there are two more uh, mandibles and settlers there's very little on those movies they're a bunch of unknowns um in those parts and so those are not necessarily that doesn't equal bad. It's just that uh, you just don't know what you're going to get with those. So um, this week, there's quite a few movies and uh, whether or not you're planning on going to the theaters to see something, or you just want to watch something at home, there's a lot of good different options. I don't know if they're good, but there's a lot of different options for you. Um, and we're kind of getting into that, that time of the year where there's going to be a lot of stuff every week and you're going to have options um and and i'm really really excited about that i think that that that's going to be a lot of fun this week they also announced more films that are going to be playing at the toronto uh international film festival um this tends to be one of the best precursors for uh oscar movies um, they have has the greatest correlation out of any other festival. And uh, so it's a huge platform to kind of see what stuff is going to maybe um, catch and end up being an award player and what stuff is going to float away. And uh, we probably won't talk about much again. Um, and so this this uh, starts in September. Um, and they, they release some more films. They're not done releasing that, that list of films. Um, but there were some interesting titles that were, were part of, of this batch. Was there anything that you saw that seen on that list that you were in particularly, um, interested in? I have to get the list in front of me. Um, 
but you can start. Yeah. So uh, the they announced that the opening film. So they have different sections, and uh, the gala presentations are generally the movies that are um, kind of like the big ones that are released, um, and it's because they all are uh, premieres. They, these are all movies that are going to premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival um, and haven't been seen uh, prior to, to this festival. So the opening film they announced is going to be Dear Evan Hansen. And uh, my, my kind of gut on this, and I love, I love the music to Dear Evan Hansen. Um, I can't wait to see it when it comes to Omaha on the stage. Um, and I'm still excited for this film. Um, but I have my expectations pretty tempered because uh, it, it just feels like it's set up to be, you know, a mediocre, mediocre film. Um, but the fact that it got picked to be the opening film for the Toronto Film Festival doesn't necessarily mean that it's great, but it at least gives it a platform. Um, it's going to be interesting to kind of see what it does from there. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you pretty much right on with Dear Evan Hansen. I might not be as big of a fan of the music as you are, um, but I am not necessarily looking forward to that all that much. Um, movie that I am very much um, interested in uh, from the Toronto Film Festival is uh, Belfast, um, which just based on stuff that I'm hearing, it seems like it's going to be uh, an interesting movie and it's Kenneth Branagh um, and I think that that will at least be worthwhile to, to check out at some point um, and then this is I, I think it's hilarious that Clifford the Big Red Dog is playing at Toronto Film Festival yep. uh, people on uh, Twitter were kind of uh, joking about that because it just was like pretty underwhelming to get that that sort of announcement be like oh (laughs) red dog um yeah i i'm right there with you for uh being excited about belfast uh it seems like it is being set up to be an awards player um and so it's going to be fun to kind of see if that comes to fruition um, a couple of the other titles that are in the gala uh, presentations that I am interested in are uh, I am interested in seeing The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is stars Jessica Chastain and um, now my his name is uh, Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. Uh, yeah, it's in this is a essentially a biopic, but uh, it has received a quite a bit of uh, like they, just promotion. They've been talking about it for a very long time. And uh, the first trailer makes it look like it's, it's going to probably be an awards player, at least in maybe the acting categories and maybe some of the below the line uh, technical stuff when it comes to like makeup and costuming and art direction and stuff like that. Um, but uh, it looks like it, it very well could be a player. Um, the last, last night in Soho, uh, which we have already talked about on the show as being something that we're both really excited to see from Edgar Wright. And then uh, there is a movie that I hadn't really heard anything about prior to it being announced, um, but it is called The Survivor. And it is directed by Barry Levinson. And he's 
big time director uh, stars Ben Foster. And um, I, I think at least it's a film that uh, we, we probably should kind of keep our eye on just because of some of the people that are involved um, with that film. I've heard with Ben Foster's performance, somebody had seen a early screening of it. They said it was Oscar worthy. Um, and so I think that that's something to watch. Uh, the only other one that we haven't mentioned yet is Bergman Island, directed by Mia Hansen Love. And uh, the only reason why this is, seems interesting to me is it stars Vicky Kripes, Tim Roth, and Mia Wyszykowska. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, I think that they're all three interesting actors, all have been in movies that I've liked quite a bit. And so... I think that I don't really know the premise of this too much, but uh, it's one that I sort of heard some buzz about recently. Well, this film, uh, along with three other films that have been announced uh, for the special presentations um, category, all premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, and so we know a little bit more about these. And I think that because they are showing back up at this, at this festival, um, that uh, it shows that, they're still trying to kind of build some buzz around them. So yeah, Bergman Island is one that I'm interested in. Drive My Car is another one. Um, Paris 13th District and then The Worst Person in the World uh, mm -hmm. is also going to be making a North American uh, premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, there is another film in this category uh, called Petite Maman and it is by Celine uh, Siyama, who did uh, the portrait of a lady on fire. And so just because that film was so great, um, I think that you have to uh, be kind of tuned in to this follow up. Um, and and so we're going to see if it kind of can live up to the the hype of that was built around her as a director. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of see it in a, a similar vein to uh with Titan and uh, Raw and kind of just building on success um, for some of these directors that probably aren't household names, but could be if they continue to make really interesting film. Um, so that is also going to be in the special presentations. And then uh, they're also going to be doing a special event for Dune, where Dune will get to have a premiere at uh, the Toronto International Film Festival as well. And kind of with that, um, Dune today released a trailer that kind of develops narrative a little bit more um, than the previous one. The previous one seemed to be showing more just the, uh, the awe-inspiring scenery. <laughs> And this one seems like they did a little bit better job of developing a narrative so that those who don't know anything about Dune may kind of get an idea of what the film is about. And I think it looks still absolutely fantastic. I am really, really excited to see this film. And I plan on seeing it on the IMAX because it seems like that is the place to see this one. Yes, I, I would love to see it on IMAX as well. I think that would be the best way to see it for sure. I, here's here's how I'm feeling about Dune right now. I am so jacked to see this movie. I'm so excited. I think that it's going to be visually 
amazing. I've heard already really great things from people that saw like the 10 minute sneak preview of, of yep. movie or something. And so um, it seems like it's going to be great. Here's my concern is that it playing on HBO max is going to have an issue. It's going to have an issue at the box office. And I think that this is going to be, I'm, I don't think it, I worry that this is going to be maybe such a sci-fi intense movie that's so like cerebral in the way story it's telling that it might not be as engaging to a mass audience. And in that way, it could, it could flop in a similar way that Blade Runner flopped. They were expecting Blade Runner to do better than it did. And I think it still was pretty successful, but I, I worry that it's not going to be successful on the scale that they're looking for, especially because of the whole uh, premiering on, on HBO max as well. So maybe they try to figure out a deal where they pull that aspect of it, but HBO and Warner brothers, they'd kind of made a, a promise or not a promise, but a deal early in the year that all of their movies of 2021 would be released on their platform. So um, that's kind of where my head's at. I, I, it won't take anything away from the movie, but it just is the, the reality of, you know, that being a component of the movie. Um, I, I think this is the sort of movie though, that, uh, it, it kind of fits in this weird little crevice between being a super mainstream movie and being kind of, um, designed to just be really great filmmaking. Um, and I think that this probably is our best chance to see this sort of movie win best picture since the Lord of the Rings movies um, mm -hmm. 20 years ago. Uh, and I obviously we don't have a lot to go on right now, but it, it feels like we, we know that the Academy has done something like that before. Um, and so I, this, this is the type of movie that, that potentially could make a run for a lot of awards. And it certainly will below the line with uh, all the technical awards. I, am, I would be very, very surprised if it's not in almost every uh, kind of lower um award category for everything from sound to visuals to production design to editing um and all that so the scale of this movie looks ginormous like i like there's some set photos or not set photos like some shots in the trailer of um of Oscar Isaac's character with Josh Brolin and they're kind of in front of this big crowd of people and like I I imagine those are all real people. Like, I don't think that that's, I mean, maybe it's, it's CGI, but I would imagine they got this big open area and made this giant set for all of those people, which is just, I think it's going to be a spectacle and not just a spectacle. It will have some really rich, cool story behind it too. Yep, I'm, I'm very excited for it. Um, and I'm not generally a giant uh, sci-fi fan. Um, but uh, I think that, that it, it's cool that there's something that, that is kind of of this magnitude um, that that taps into my interest because that doesn't always happen. So, um, yes, I, I'm glad that they moved it up, too, because uh, I think initially last year it was supposed to come out around Christmas and have it an October release. 
um, I think is fun and exciting. So I agree. Um, I think that's how we kind of want to wrap up the introduction to our show today. Uh, so when we come back from this break, we are going to be talking about the life aquatic with Steve Zissou. And uh, we're going to give you a little bit of a taste of what we thought about this film. So stick right there. Is falling. It's going to rain in five minutes. We got to be quick. But where are they? Unknown. Split into two groups. I'll take Ned, Ogata, and Willow Darcy. Thanks. Thanks a lot for not picking me. What? We're smack in the middle of a lightning strike rescue op, boss. What's the deal? I'm sick of being on B-Squad. Listen, you may be on B-Squad, but you're the B-Squad leader. Don't you know me and Esteban always thought of you as our baby brother? I've always thought of you two as my dads. Please don't let anyone make fun of me for saying so. I can't guarantee that, Klausi, but I'll try. Can we get on with the maneuvers now? And we are back. We are going to be looking at our fourth Wes Anderson film. That's The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. And this is Wes Anderson's fourth film in which uh, we are introduced to a narcissistic character played by Bill Murray named Steve Zissou. And uh, Zissou is a wildlife underwater documentarian who dives into an expedition to hunt the jaguar shark that killed his friend Esteban. This personal crisis... Um, and the loss that is comes from this is compounded with him meeting his son, who is played by Owen Wilson. And this is all kind of about the uh, journey for Bill Murray's character to kind of find redemption throughout his, um, his journey towards hunting this jaguar shark. Um, we are kind of framing each one of these films by looking at a review from the time that this movie, the movies were released. And so we're going to look at Roger, what Roger Ebert said when this movie was released. He says, my rational mind informs me that this movie doesn't work. Yet I hear a, a subversive whisper. Since it does so many other things, does it have to work too? Can it just exist? Terminal whimsy, I called it on the TV show. Yes, but it isn't that that better. Uh, it, but isn't that better than half-hearted whimsy or no whimsy at all? Wes Anderson's *The Life Aquatic* with Steve Zissou is the damnedest film. I can't recommend it, but I would not for one second discourage you from seeing it. So that's what Roger Ebert said. I'm curious to know what you think, Rob. So uh, that that is an interesting take on this film. Um... And just kind of looking at how this film was received, it tends to, on IMDb, it currently has a 7.3 out of 10 and a Metascore of a 62. So this is a, a movie that uh, audiences seem to like better than the critics. Um, and when I first saw this movie, uh, I saw it in the theaters and I was a... 18 year old uh i i had just turned 18 when this movie had come out and so this is one of the first mo r-rated movies that i went to see in the movie theaters and um i absolutely loved this movie when i saw it um i had seen it since then but it had been a while since i watched this and um having now seen those first three movies again more recently um, I was interested in how I was going to receive this 
And if I would love it as much as I had uh, in the past, and uh, I did, <laughs> I loved it just as much as I did the first time that I saw it. And in fact, there are things that I probably love more, um, just being a more experienced uh, watcher of movies uh, that that I I think made me appreciate it on an even higher level. So uh, compared to the 62 Metascore that critics uh, gave this film, I ended up still keeping it at a nine. Um, I love this movie. And I don't, I don't know that I can quite put my finger on why I love it so much, but just almost every aspect of the film is done at a very high level. And um, in a way, I'm appreciative of the fact that it, it, even though it is still a classic Wes Anderson film, um, it does some different things that kind of uh, separate it from the Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, and he didn't just necessarily stick to the same shtick uh, and gave us a really original story that uh, there are aspects that are somewhat grounded in real life. Um, but uh, I think that why this film is does so well and it, it, it is as good as it is, is because of its cast, um, which I think is brilliantly cast. Um, Bill Murray as the lead role. He's just so good at comedy um, and kind of this almost dry comedy. His delivery is fantastic. And then pairing him up with Owen Wilson um, as, as this son character. Uh, it, the contrast between these two is so great. And I think that really puts kind of on display um, just, why this casting was so good and then you bring in Kate Blanchett who probably is the best actor <laughs> out of it almost well she's at least one of the top uh best actors actors out of any character cast in any Wes Anderson film mm -hmm. um and I think she's fantastic here I really really love her character of Jane in this film because it is a little different for Kate Blanchett I think a lot of times she kind of plays more of a rough around the edges character. And even though there are some aspects of that here, um, she is uh, a little more vulnerable um, and you don't get to see that as much from Kate Blanchett. Uh, and so I, I really, really appreciated that casting here and between the three of them, I, they're just a really great dynamic. Um, so I'm, I'm going to start with that and kind of, pitch it back to you to maybe talk about the cast a little bit and tell us why you love this movie. Uh, or maybe you don't love this movie. The, the cast, I'll get to that in a little bit. I, I do. I agree with everything that you said about the cast. I would say of the movies that we've watched so far in the Wes Anderson uh, marathon, this is the one that is most deserving of the criticism, all style, no substance, in my opinion. Now, that's not completely fair because there's still some depth to these characters. Um, even a character like Klaus, played by Willem Dafoe, who's kind of more of a, a tertiary. He's a, on a, not even in the second tier of the movie. He's kind of has some depth to him and it's written with depth. So I admire that about the story. So there's still substance to there. But I found more so than the three previous movies that I was 
becoming annoyed with the, uh, the quirkiness of this movie. And so um, I actually ended up giving it a seven out of 10. Um, so I, I, this is going to be interesting to kind of see where we disagree on this because we've been in agreement on a lot of things we've talked about on the show so far. So I'm kind of excited to get into this. Um, I'll start with some of the things that I, I do think are really good about this movie. I think he takes his set production and uh, in general um, production of the like visual aspect of his movie to another level in this. And, and he really, uh, I think he solidifies his own aesthetic to making movies within this film. And so I, I really like that. One of the best parts about the movie is the, the sequence where Bill Murray's like, let me tell you about my boat. And then he goes in and then they show all of the parts of the ship and that's all done practically, you know, it's all done in a way that's, uh, you, you get to kind of see that physical ship being um, kind of its own character in the story, which I like. Um, I, I think that the, the stylized jilted dialogue is really starting to come up in this movie more so than the previous. I mean, that's part of some of the uh, previous movies we've seen, but I would say it more so than any uh, thing we'd seen so far, it's really showing up and specific, specifically in the way that characters uh, are cussing like they they don't they, they cuss in kind of an awkward like way that like no one ever says the things that people so like I, I think about Jeff Goldblum's character saying I'm so pissed I want to spit you know like nobody's nobody talks like that but it's just that's like a, a a characteristic we see showing up um I really think that there are moments of of uh, kind of human connection and specifically with the Owen Wilson character. I think I'm realizing that I really like Owen Wilson as an actor. I think that he's um, maybe underrated in a lot of ways because he's not in these big dramas most of the time. And I don't think he would fit in that, but like, even though his character's goofy, he does a lot in this movie that I think is really interesting because he plays it straight. He's not playing it for laughs really at all and the character is not designed for that um but i really like the kind of solemnness of his character as he's kind of just trying to find his his place you know in his relationship with his this father figure and bill murray's character and the last really good thing that i want to talk about uh is the the cast okay so uh i think that like you said um the cast is is fantastic, but I think the best part is that each of the characters is so clearly defined within. So like that's part of the writing and the, obviously the casting goes into that and getting these actors to bring these characters to life is such a huge part of that. But um, these characters are so well written that you, you, you can't but help but kind of like these characters. Um, but that kind of takes me into where I think that this movie falls off. And so I'm going to kind of start with one kind of negative and then maybe pitch it back to you to see what you think. Um, I, I think that this film maybe tries to do too much. It is, it gets lost in a sort of meandering way for me. And I know that that to some extent, maybe the purpose of the movie is that, you know, he's supposed to, they're supposed to get 
you know, stopped by pirates and they're all, all of these things go wrong because they're inept at what they're doing. But it just did not land for me because I just felt like we were it 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 part of it was grounded in this problem of I did not empathize with Bill Murray's character enough. That was my biggest issue with the, the movie. And Bill Murray, great performer, I think he played the character exactly the way it's written. But the way the character is written is somebody that I can't like he's he's hard to redeem in a lot of ways, even though what he does is not horrific. He's just not a super likable character. Um, what do you think? Um, first of all, uh, I don't I don't necessarily disagree with that sentiment about um, him being a hard character to empathize with. And I think that this is my belief kind of across the board with Wes Anderson. I don't think he writes uh, particularly likable characters. Um, and there are problems with almost every single main character that he writes where they're a little bit of a narcissist and uh, they, they, it makes it hard for you to entirely uh, empathize with their situation. Um, but I think that that plays in a little bit kind of with the comedy of it is that you don't feel as bad about laughing at their misfortunes or mm-hmm. um, being okay with their misfortunes because of that. Um, but what I think this movie does really, really well. And it, it, to me, it's not so much about the narrative. Yeah, it's kind of this adventure and you're trying to get to the end where we know that we're supposed to see this jaguar shark because that's kind of the what they've set it up for. Um, and yeah, that's that's the, narr- the narrative, but that's not what's important about this film. And it's the journey that they take and the things that happen along the way that change these characters. Because every single character in this film um, is changed in some manner uh, by the end of the film because mm-hmm. of the experiences that take place throughout this meandering story that sometimes maybe takes them in a weird direction that what it, it may not completely land, but it, it pushes them to uh, have this experience that many of them hadn't had previously and make them change the way that they look at others and kind of their own life. Um, and, and, I think that's kind of who he is. He never, he, he never truly has a real plan. <laughs> um, and, and so he, he's kind of just flying by the seat of his pants always, which is why it takes us on that kind of meandering journey where it's like, okay, what was the point of that? Well, the point of that for me was that um, Steve Sisu is a not particularly great at what he does and has essentially managed to find success because he is abrasive and just kind of takes what he wants. Um, and, and so he's an interesting character from that standpoint. Um, and, and I think that, I, I think that even though he maybe doesn't necessarily have what's coming to him, he should probably, uh, have greater consequences and he kind of gets away with some things that he probably shouldn't get away with. I still believe in sort of the same way that uh, the main character in Rushmore does um, that he learns a lesson 
despite uh, still kind of managing to find some sort of success. Yeah, he does learn a lesson, I would say. And I think one thing that, and it may be because I was so taken with the uh, Owen Wilson character in this, that one thing that happens in this movie for me is that um, the first part of the movie feels slow to me. And I'm kind of like, nothing's really landed with me in terms of getting me invested. And then as soon as the Owen Wilson character enters the story and you get this, oh, I'm your son moment, uh, that is interesting to me. And then there's a moment, and I won't say what happens, but there's a moment where something dramatic happens uh, in terms of the plot of the movie. And I don't believe that that moment is played to a significant level in terms of how Steve Zissou feels about it. And so it almost feels like it's, that's just one stepping stone to get to the end. And I feel like even though there, the relationships aren't necessarily super deep between the two characters that this happens between, I think that um, I still wanted to see more there, you know, and that's part of the reason why, and maybe, and again, like I, I think that, the thing that's interesting is all the things I have issue with, I know Wes Anderson is doing deliberately. Like that's part of the point, but I, it's not working for me. You know what I mean? And so like, I can't, I can't say like Wes Anderson screwed up because he did exactly what he wanted to do. I think. Right. Yeah. In uh, that brings up a good point. Something that I kind of want to talk about a little bit here is that, um, in a way, I feel like a lot of his characters are played out as if they're on an antidepressant always, and they don't really feel things. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that generally is how most of his main characters are written. You, they don't they don't have those emotional rides that that you'd expect, despite what is happening um, in the plot, uh, and and so. The that fault for me is something that I kind of see that you can apply to every single one of his films, um, because that's the sort of character that he writes. And on top of that, this is a co-written film. This is the first one that wasn't co-written with Owen Wilson. And I think it's interesting because it's out of the four films, he wasn't in uh, he wasn't in Rushmore. But out of the two uh, roles that Owen Wilson plays in the the bottle rocket and in uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, I think this is a far better role for him. Um, mm-hmm. And he didn't write this. Uh, right. It was co-written by Noah Baumbach and you, you get the feeling um, that Noah Baumbach actually had a huge influence on this film. Because if, if you look at his other films that he's written and that he has made, um, they're kind of similar types of characters. Uh, they're these kind of, middle of life type characters that are are dealing with some sort of crisis and uh and trying to kind of work through that um but i don't always believe that his characters are overly deep either and i think about a movie like um a marriage story uh that really relied on just powerful performances from great actors in that film to really bring out a lot of that emotion um and so this is kind of an interesting uh, 
change from those first three movies to see um, how these characters are a little bit different. Um, and I think a lot of that is because of the Noah Baumbach influence that he had on this film. Two things when you were saying that, that made me think of uh, the, the character in Marriage Story played by Alan Alda, who's the attorney. Yeah. He's like a Wes Anderson character in a lot right. of ways. Like he's, he is of this world, but simultaneously quirky enough to be, you know, and his line delivery and all of that, the way he's written, I think he could sit in a Steve Zissou universe. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that that's a really good point. And you can definitely sense Noah Baumbach's uh, presence in this. The other question more so that I wanted to pose is that this is an interesting movie to come from um, the Royal Tenenbaums because in a lot of ways it is very different, but in a really, I think, core way, it's really similar and it deals with fatherhood. Uh, it, like this theme of being a dad and what that means and uh, the idea of redemption as a dad and all of those things. And while I think Royal Tenenbaums deals with that a little bit more explicitly, this has a lot of other things happening. So it kind of has to address a lot more. Um, what did you think of uh, the way that Gene Hackman is written as Royal Tenenbaum and how he performs that versus the way Bill Murray is written and how he performs Steve Zissou? Um, I mean, they, they clearly each kind of have their own spin on things. Uh, this performance by Bill Murray is a pretty classic Bill Murray performance. Um, Bill Murray isn't an overly great actor. He doesn't have very much range, um, but he, he's good at this role where he's kind of a jerk um, and doesn't really apologize for it, um, but is able to have these little glimpses of uh, showing some sort of emotion or heart that uh, gives you just enough to, to kind of be okay with what's happening. Um, and, and so I, I find that really interesting, but the reason like they, it, I think Gene Hackman too, uh, Gene Hackman is a far, like he has a far greater range. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in a way, Gene Hackman is probably a little bit limited by, by the role that he plays in the Royal Ten Tenenbaums. Whereas I feel like uh, Bill Murray, this is like the perfect role for him. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the, some of the ways that he delivers lines in this movie just cracks me up. Uh, there's a scene toward the beginning where he talks about how uh, something hurt uh, hurt him and the way that he delivers the line is just yeah. so funny. Um, yeah. And that's a Bill Murray delivery. Like that, that is something that he put into uh, the film that where he made that character his own. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, he's a little bit more of just a natural fit. Um, and that's also the reason that he's in just about every single movie. Um, and I, in, in a way it's a, it's kind of a good contrast because I think that he's probably puts forth a better performance from like an acting standpoint in Rushmore, uh, yeah. because it's a more, um, humanizing performance. Like, 
his character as Steve Zizou is not really a real person. Um, mm-hmm. And, and like, he's kind of void of feeling and, uh, and that's not the case for his character in Rushmore. It's, I was thinking the exact same thing about him in Rushmore being is actually a better performance. Um, but I also, here's the, here's the point that I think I have with this movie is that I think Bill Murray is the best fit, obviously, because I think that this was written for him. But I also think that this was a, like the way it's written and given all of the things that are going on in this character's life, it's a really hard role to play. And I think it's harder, it's a harder role to play than Gene Hackman's role in Royal Tenenbaums because Steve Zissou is not only having to deal with the emotional toll of losing his best friend, he's at a point in his career where he's not being recognized as being uh, uh, a critical hit in any way. Uh, his fandom is decreasing. He has somebody that's confronted him about him being his uh, son. And so, I mean, it just... All of this stuff is going on, and I think that that makes uh, that role so much harder to play. But something that I really like about Bill Murray's performance in this movie is that he uh, he does a lot with his vo- voice, his his vocal delivery, and not just in the com- comedy, but he has like a a, a way of moder- monitoring and moderating his his uh, vocal quality in a way that kind of makes him pathetic. And that is where you actually start to empathize with him a little bit because he's so so pathetic in some ways that you kind of are like, oh man, this guy. And so it, it, I think that is what makes his performance in this good, even though I think that it's maybe not fantastic, he's still doing a lot there. Um, and I, I think you made a comment earlier about the writing and how the writing really lends itself well um, for an actor to kind of play out the way that it should. I feel like less so in this movie. I, I, I feel as though the actor's portrayal of these characters adds more to the script into what is being said in a way that the previous three movies did not. Um, that those, the, the way, what is being said matters more in those other movies. Whereas in this, the way it is being said matters a little bit more. Okay. Um, and, and yeah, I, the reason I really, really, really love this movie is because it is subtle in a way it doesn't have anything grand to actually say. Um, but it, it allows us to kind of watch these characters change. And, uh, I don't know. I really focus on the aesthetic and, uh, kind of keep you guessing the entire time at its core. This film is an adventure film. Um, and, and so as audience members, we're kind of just going on this adventure. Um, and it, it probably from a narrative standpoint follows your action flicks a little bit more than it does a, a comedy or a drama, um, because it does take you in all these different places. Um, but, uh, I think every new place they go, there's something interesting about that. Um, and yeah, it gets back to this, this idea that 
there may be not there may not be a better filmmaker when it comes to production design than Wes Anderson. Mm. Um, and the aesthetic here, yeah, the the scene where he's explaining about his ship, and uh, you get like the profile view. It's all cut away, so you can see every room and how they connect. And then that continues on, and we we see this in other. Wes Anderson movies, but uh, yeah, the way that he he portrays the ship, um, also the way the choice that he made about um, showing what under the sea looks like and how it's this kind of stop motion um, animation uh, done with like clay type characters and making these creatures not uh, realistic to life but almost magical in a way, and, and maybe maybe to an extent we we have. Since we've started this show, I have recognized how much I love under the sea movies, and yeah. so I didn't I didn't realize how much I loved them until like it just seems like over and over and over again I keep coming back to this, and um, so that might be a piece of what I really really love about this. And one of the final scenes in the movie um, that takes place under under the sea, which I'm not going to ruin, but uh, I I think it's just a magical scene. Because I think a lot is happening. As a viewer, you get to kind of witness this along with the characters, but you also get the opportunity to see um, kind of how these characters are all coexisting within this this uh, sea vessel, which I thought I think is funny because there's a they they show as they do the scene there's like a little placard that says no more than six people and then there's clearly more than six people that have been jam-packed into this little vessel um, but, but it, it to me it's such a great culminating scene because it uh brings all of these characters and despite all of their conflicts that they are having throughout the entirety of this film um there's this peace in this moment and the music here is I love the song they choose, uh, yeah. Rose song there, um, at, at the very, very end of, or in that, that scene. Um, and the music in general is fantastic in this film. Uh, mm -hmm. I love the fact that they decided to, uh, have a bunch of David Bowie tunes, uh, translated into Portuguese. Yeah. And, um, and then mixed with uh, just the normal tracks of other songs that uh, get put throughout and then a, a pretty good score at times as well. So the music plays a huge role in my enjoyment of this film. Um, I am a sucker for an interesting score that clearly a lot of thought was put into the choices they made with the music in this film. Um, and it kind of gives it a unique experience that I haven't really seen in other films before um, with him sitting there playing his, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if it's a guitar. It might be something. Guitar. Yeah. Um, but uh, playing these songs is just part of this ship life, but it, it kind of gives the soundtrack for this film. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that is a big part of, I think, my enjoyment of a lot of these scenes is the music that is used throughout the entirety of the film. You said two things that I think really stuck with me. And uh, first I'll start on when you said you seen the, the character play guitar. And there's a lot of scenes like that in this movie where there's like people that are part of the ship and the crew that like are like doing really pointless 
like not helpful things like there there's a sequence where they're like i think uh maybe they're playing some game or something together and they're, or they're in the spa you know like all of those things it, it just i think that that kind of plays into the character of the film as like these people are not cut out to do what they're doing at all you know like they're and they're not taking it very seriously the other thing that i'll say too is that you had mentioned the it is an interesting choice to um, show this underwater world in a uh, stop motion animated way, and I think that that is an interesting thing that the movie's doing, where it plays as a uh, there's a difference between kind of reality and then the adventure magic side of his the world that he he wants to um show he has you know and so he's very performative as a character steve zisu and he wants to appear as if he has this kind of bigger than life uh type of life and the the that's constantly being juxtaposed with his reality and there's a really interesting choice and i'm curious if you saw it or what you thought of it but it's in the the pirate scene where their their boat is being taken over and suddenly you can see that the color saturation or the color um, of the film changes. It becomes kind of a cool, less warm tone. And it definitely looks suddenly like we're in maybe uh, some sort of like clean looking action movie of the like maybe 90s, you know, or the 80s. And, and, the only time it switches back is that moment when Steve Zissou decides he's going to be the hero and save his crew. And suddenly it goes back into this warm color tone. And I think that that is interesting. And that's something that we, we will maybe want to pay attention to when we see the French dispatch, because that looks like a movie that's playing with different formats for filmmaking and the, the, the deliberate choices you make about, how you shoot a specific scene or how you color correct a specific scene in order to send a specific message. Um, and I think that uh, the, at least as far as, I mean, maybe he's doing that in the first three movies and I never noticed it, but this is the first time that I've, it seems like he's playing with different formats of telling the story in order to say something about the story. You know, I didn't, I didn't notice that, um, but uh, I would be interested in going back and, and kind of watching that transition again, because uh, I think that does say something. I, I think that says something uh, about the narrative and kind of how we are in his world mm -hmm. up until that point. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that, that is cool. If that's actually a by design choice, um, and it must've been subtle enough that it didn't click with me that that's what was happening. But if you rewatch it, you'll notice there's a clear, and it, it has to be deliberate because in one moment, and then it's as soon as he decides, you know, how he steps up and he's ready to, to take things on and like, you know, to take on these pirates, he, the color changes again. And it becomes that warm sense of like, it's his, it's his kind of imagined bigger than life world in a way all of a sudden that's cool i really like that um the one area that i want to talk about that we didn't is when they go to the island and how 
uh, the production design there is very good <laughs> as well. Um, that's very, it's different. Like it's not, it, it's not, I think color scheme wise, it's a more typical Wes Anderson, but it's a more vast uh, kind of set for um, Wes Anderson. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think that's an interesting uh, kind of change in scenery. Um, and frankly, where Jeff Goldblum kind of really enters <laughs> into the story a little bit more. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I found that interesting. Uh, that kind of change in in dynamic of the film at that point and it's interesting too how he is still at a point where he's blending kind of real on location sets and sets that he's yep. shooting on whereas i i think grand budapest hotel is a movie that is almost completely done on sets yep like i don't think that there's really any location going on in that movie maybe with the exception of a, a few scenes um I, and it, felt, the French dispatch looks about the same right yep, yep i felt uh royal tenenbaums was mostly that way as well or it seemed like <laughs> on sets yeah. yeah and yeah i would agree um yeah so, and i think that there is there's kind of like that that blend of both uh on location and sets in this this film mm -hmm. um one more thing, just kind of about the character of Bill Murray. And I think uh, one of the kind of interesting humanizing things that he does is when he adopts the pirate's dog um, <laughs> and how like it's kind of this endearing sort of aspect of him that uh, shows that maybe he is a little bit more uh, human than than we maybe thought prior to that when you compare it to frankly the way that he handled the pirate situation yeah yeah it, it's interesting and i i think that the there's all sorts of little details throughout wes anderson movies like that that like allow us to get some insight into the heart of these characters and what is kind of core to who they are in in a weird way um even when the the thing they project might say one thing their actions say thing. yeah yeah uh maybe more so than i mean and it's easy for us to say because we're really studying him right now as as this uh artist but more so than a lot of other directors wes anderson is very deal detail oriented mm -hmm. and he spends time on things that probably a lot of directors would think that's a waste of time because it's only in the scene for a second um, and he doesn't care. He puts that effort in and that detail in because it matters to him um, and it helps build this world uh, because when we go through life, there's all these details to life that uh, they don't really have a great impact on what happens in our life, but there's still a detail in part of that, that world. Um, and so I think probably more so than just about any other director, he is very detail oriented and is interested in what is happening around these characters, even if that isn't the main focus. And it, it, to me, that's very theatrical. Um, that's something that that seems to there's a lot of thought put into that when you are staging a a production on the stage because those characters are constantly visible to the audience 
And so those details matter there. Um, but he has injected that into his films. And yeah, I think that it, it's a very theatrical approach to uh, what is happening in his films. Yep. And I mean, if being theatrical is what he's known as, he does it to a really good, great degree. And it's, the, I mean, when you see a Wes Anderson movie, you expect to see that theatrical nature of his vision. And I, I mean, even though this is a movie that I, I think is good, I don't think it's, I don't love it as much as you do. Um, I respect a lot of what he does within this movie. Yes. So uh, I think that this is probably the movie that we have been the most different on. And I, I appreciate that. And I think that uh, we'll find that probably a lot of people listening to this, um, they're going to have various viewpoints on this film as well. And it's, it's pretty clear that uh, this maybe is one of his more um, divided films uh, mm -hmm. that, that, either some audiences really loved it and others not so much. So um, yeah, I think this is an interesting, an interesting film and I'd be interested to hear what other people thought of, of this film as well. Um, so I think that kind of wraps up our review on the life aquatic with Steve Zizou. Um, next week, we are going to be doing another Wes Anderson film. We're going to be doing the Darjeeling limited um and uh, it'll be a very similar show to the show that we just did in terms of format um and then when we return um to back to new movies we're going to be doing the green knight um in something that we've been talking about is trying to highlight a specific film from the director's past and so uh, maybe a movie that people haven't seen or it's been a while since they've seen um, just kind of as a contrast piece to see uh, how it's different from the, the most recent release. And so for that week, I think that we, we're probably going to be doing a contrast show between The Green Knight and uh, David Lowry's um, one of his earlier movies, uh, A Ghost Story. Uh, and so that's something to look forward to. And then we'll kind of be back into the thick of uh, the release schedule. And there's going to be a ton of stuff coming out. Um, and so as we get down the line, we'll continue to announce those shows. And uh, hopefully there'll be some that you're just as excited to see as, as we are. Uh, it's going to be a fun end of the year. And it's going to be a lot Mm -hmm. I'm so pumped. This is like cloud nine for movie fans right now. There's so much good stuff that's coming our way. Yep. All right. That'll do it for today. Um, until next week. Have a great week. We'll see you later.
Thank you.